we have those opportunities in those crossroads moments to go, man, I'm going to choose, I'm going to choose to follow Jesus, even if that's a path of suffering over choosing to follow my human desires. And when we make that choice in those moments, we, we are finished with sin. That, so that's not like a once for all time where we never choose sin ever again. But it is true that if we're making the decision to suffer, we're, we're making the decision to say no to sin. You're listening to The Chopping Block, a weekly podcast from City Life Church, where we have short, informal conversations about the Bible and the meaning it has for our lives. If you didn't get the chance to catch last week's sermon, I'd recommend going back and giving it a listen so that you can pick up with us where the sermon left off. All right. Well, good morning. Welcome back to the chopping block. This is Andy. I'm here with Brett and Zach. I wish Zach. we had a chop sound effect to do right then. We do need we need some sound effects. I can make that happen. Thank you, Zach. Like a cleaver on a chopping block. People would what? take us so they would take us so much more seriously if we had sound effects. It's going to take us to the next level. We're <laughs> probably going to go viral. Like shock jock morning radio. <laughs> Man, this podcast has really changed since it started. <laughs> they essentially just mess around now. They started out talking about the Bible. <laughs> All right. I'm ready, Andy. Well, welcome back. Uh, good to be with you this morning. Uh, on Sunday, uh, Brett preached First uh, Peter 4, 1 through 6 for us. As Peter kind of continues in this this theme of, of living as exiles and... Uh, mm-hmm. One of the major themes in the book is is this idea of suffering well, yeah. suffering as a believer, suffering for doing good. And so we, we kind of keep coming back to this theme. Brett um, took us there again this Sunday because that's where the text led us. Uh, so we're going to dive into a few, uh, a few creases this morning. Uh, Peter starts out, uh, verse 1, saying, Since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same understanding. I was intrigued, Brett, as you kind of wrestled through the text, if you zoomed in at all on this language of Peter saying, arm yourselves. Yeah. Um, that conjures up the imagery of uh, armor, you know, yeah. you know, which is a kind of a, a war motif or a military motif. It made me think of Ephesians chapter 6 where the Apostle Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God. Yeah. Um, and so Peter's here telling believers to arm themselves and specifically to arm their understanding, mm-hmm. um, to arm the way that you think. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's relating this to, to suffering. So curious, you know, if you did any uh, investigation there on this idea of arming yourselves or, um, had any thoughts there, um, as we think about, yeah, suffering is is part of the Christian life. Yeah, um, and so you know, how do we arm ourselves with this way of thinking? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. I think I did, and and, and even as I think back, you know, we call this the chopping block because there's so much you don't say on Sunday morning, right? Um, and even as I think back, there's probably more I could have done with this language. There's just so much in this text. But yeah, I mean, it is military language, and it's very active language. It's not passive. 
it's an it's an active obedience, an active taking upon yourself of this understanding. And I think knowing what Peter's doing in the full passage helps you to to kind of discern what he means here, and really what Peter's calling his readers to in this passage is to deny their former desires, the way they used to live, their old ways of living, right? And so it's a really a call to self-denial. Mm. And it makes me quickly go back, and even your, your, your military motif to uh, chapter 2, verse 11, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. And so even as you think about, like, you know, we've asked this question a couple times in First Peter, like, who's the enemy here? Well, the enemy is not the Gentiles that, that are brought up in, in verse 3. The enemy is really our own desires. Like, our human desires is what he calls them in, in verse 2. Um, and I think to live this type of life, this this daily decision to desi- deny yourself, deny these old desires, we, we have to take on the understanding of Christ, right? Uh, it makes me go quickly back to Philippians 2, right? Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself. I mean, the, the ultimate model, and not just model, the, the ultimate, um, yeah, I mean, the ultimate example of, of this life of denying oneself to live for God's will is Jesus. Yeah, and that seems to be what Peter's doing here, right? Right. Since Christ suffered... Arm yourselves right. with the same way of thinking. And I think part of what he seems to be doing there is calling us to move past this passive approach mm-hmm. to life. Mm-hmm. I think I think it seems like what one of the things Peter's kind of getting at here is like you need to ready yourself to suffer yeah. because it's coming. Like Christ suffered, you're called to follow Christ. Um it's it's gonna happen, and if you if your approach to life is to not give a proactive consideration of that, um, it's gonna take you by surprise, and it might take you down. Yeah. Um, whereas if you arm yourself with this way of thinking, if 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 you go, you know what, this is part and parcel of following Jesus. This is this is um, this is what it means to be a Christian, and you know it's coming. Um, then you're ready for it. Yeah. Um, and, and then you're able to endure it. And, and actually you have a vision for, for what God's doing with it, both in your life presently and then the ultimate reality of, hey, he's not done yet and there's a day coming where, yeah, um, you know, scales will be balanced and everything's going to be made right. And so, you, you, you know, I think the call here is to be proactive in your thinking about suffering. Right. And I think to your point, you know, if you take the armor imagery, you know, as a soldier, you don't, you don't put your armor one day, take it off, go to bed and not put it on the next day. You put it on every single day. Right. Like if you go out to the battlefield without your armor, you're putting your, you're foolish. Right. You're at great risk. Right. And so I think one of the things I tried to say at at a couple of different points in the sermon is that this is a lifelong process of, of, learning to less and less live into your old desires and more and more live into your new desire, which is Christ Jesus. And this is a daily 
thing where I arm myself with the understanding, like, you know, that in language. Today I'm waking up and I'm putting on Christ. I'm taking off my old self, as Ephesians 4 would say, and it's deceitful desire. So I'm putting on my new self, which is Christ and his me, understanding. It makes me think of Romans 12 to renew our minds. Right. You know, it's this, it's this renewing of the mind. And embracing that this is the program. I, th- I think we have a hard time with that, especially as um, Americans, because subtly, um, or maybe explicitly, I mean, there is, you know, the, the prosperity gospel certainly propagates this lie, um, which is that there is a way of following Jesus where suffering is not a part of the program. Right. And we've either explicitly heard that and have believed the lie, or we've implicitly, subtly heard that, um, just because of, you know, the culture we live in, and the American dream, which is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and we don't have a paradigm where suffering fits into that, mm-hmm. and what, what Peter's telling us is, it's part of the program, mm-hmm. um, and so I think it's really important to arm ourselves with this way of thinking. Yeah, yeah, I do too. All right, so he goes on and he says that the one who suffers in the flesh, this is the end of verse 1, is finished with sin. You dealt with this a little bit in your sermon. I want to dig in a little bit more. Mm -hmm. What is Peter saying and what is he not saying when he says that the one who suffers in the flesh um, is finished with sin? Yeah, well, real clearly and real quickly, he's not saying that someone who experiences suffering in this life for the sake of Christ automatically is going to be perfectly sinless. He's not saying that. We know that because the very next verse says, in order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. So he's saying there is, you have the ability still to live for human desires and not God's will. Are are there groups within Christianity who would look at this verse and teach the idea of sinless perfectionism yeah yeah there are and honestly i don't know all of them i know that some uh there's some methodist teaching even that would that would say that perfectionism is possible this side of of heaven um and that as we you know as we grow as we're sanctified as we grow in our knowledge of christ that we can reach this place of of no longer dealing with these things um, and I don't, don't see that in scripture. I could also imagine that some go the route of asceticism, that the one who suffers right. is finished with sin. And so they think, well, if I punish my body, you know, if I, if I inflict suffering upon myself, that's going to help me not sin. Mm-hmm. But that's not what Peter's saying. No. So, so what is he saying? If he's not saying that you can be sinless and he's not saying that you should proactively inflict suffering upon yourself yeah well i think there's two levels of it and that's why i kind of use this idea of christ being the both the power and the pattern of our living in a sin-filled world um you know i think he starts with christ suffering the flesh and we you know there's there's both just the reality that christ um chose this life of self-denial chose this life of denial um as opposed to just exploiting his godness right but there's also reality that he suffered specifically on the cross for us, taking right. our sins upon himself, dying in our place. And so 
So there's a reality that the one who trusts in the in, in the one who suffered once for all time for us, Christ, is is finished with sin. Like in the sense that sin has does not have the last word on us. So right? there's there's a legal pronouncement. Yeah. There's an objective reality that sin doesn't get the last word. We are freed from the penalty of sin through the work of Jesus. Yeah. And so, you know, different commentators will see will will emphasize different things. If you read Edmund Clowney, he's gonna emphasize that piece that, that Christ is the power. Right. Uh, for us to be finished with sin because he suffered for us. Well, you know, Karen Jobs, who's a great commentator, is going to lean a little bit more into because he's the pattern for us, right? Because he, who is both fully God and fully man, you know, experienced desires, experienced temptations, suffered in such a way that he knew by choosing God's will he was going to suffer, be slandered, and ultimately killed on our behalf. Um, he He's shown us this way. Right. And so if we follow in his steps, if we, if we ourselves choose not to go the, maybe the easy route, right, or the, the, the natural route of sin, but des- decide to des- deny ourselves and therefore open ourselves up to the slander of others, be suffered and suffer for his sake, that ultimately we're finished with sin. Because the person who says, hey, no, I'll suffer rather than, than take this easier route that would lead to being more accepted, is ultimately showing you what who 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 has their affections, who right. has their allegiance. So in that moment, right? I mean, that's kind of how I view this: is that, that the one who has suffered in the flesh is finished with sin. In the moment when you choose to follow Jesus and suffer over to follow, you know, human desire right. or ease or comfort, when you make that decision, in that moment, you are finished with sin. And so part of what's being uh, put before us is, you know, we have those opportunities throughout the day. We right. have we have those opportunities in those crossroads moments to go, man, I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose to follow Jesus, even if that's a path of suffering over choosing to follow my human desires. And when we make that choice in those moments, we we are finished with sin. That So that's not like a once for all time where we never choose sin ever again. Right. But it is true that if we're making the decision to suffer, we're, we're making the decision to say no to sin. Right. And we're, we're living in such a way where sin no longer has the power over us. We're appropriating the gospel truth, right? We, t- we talked about Romans 6, that sin no longer reigns in our mortal bodies. Like, we're appropriating those truths when we say no to sin, even in the face of suffering. There's a progressive nature to that too. The more that we begin to lean into this life, you know, this life, this way of living, sin's dominion over us is diminishing. Amen. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think it's John Owen um, in his book, The Mortification of Sin. You know, he says that, you know, this side of heaven, we can never truly kill sin. He said, but as we mortify the flesh, as we, you know, say no to sin, right. he said we can we can beat sin we can beat those sinful inclinations in us. We can beat the flesh down like a like a um, what was once a rabid dog that we've tamed into submission. And so when it rears its ugly head, you know, all we have to do is raise a fist and it cowers. Mm-hmm. And I love that imagery. I like that idea that we can progress in this mm-hmm. to the point that we've actually tamed the flesh it's not completely gone 
It's not that it's obsolete. Right. But we're, we're leaning into the spirit. We're leaning into the power of Christ. Right. In his cross, in our lives. Yeah. So that we're able to follow the pattern more and more. Amen. So as Peter goes on, he, he describes kind of the way that the Gentiles in the first century lived. And I won't read all of these words. Um, Why? You use some fun words on Sunday. Why? Uh, I mean, I can read it if you want me keep to. Going, keep going. Keep uh, going. But you said in your sermon that this was the ordinary way of life for a Gentile, which is language for an unbeliever, right? Yeah. Um, a pagan in the first century. Now, some of that some of that language feels removed from us. Like we 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 don't use language like carousing and orgies in everyday life right. today. Uh, but, you know, I think there are parallels to our day. And so I'd love to maybe just spend a minute here thinking about what, what's what's an ordinary way of living for an unbeliever today and how might saying no to such things be shocking and surprising to our neighbors um, and potentially even lead us to getting slandered. Yeah. Because I do think that there are modern parallels. They may be different um, but I think that there are parallels. So do you have any thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, first century Rome, and, and to be clear, like, I don't think even Peter's saying that every Gentile, every pagan lived exactly like this. But he's saying that this is the 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 world order that they were living in. This is the, this is, these are the desires that fuel uh, culture around them. And, you know, they're, they're very much about what we want. They're very much about what we feel. They're very much about what brings, you know, some of those source idols, comfort and pleasure, um, control, approval. And so those things are all still very much for us. I mean, I think I made the comment, like, these things would have been celebrated and embraced in a lot of ways. Uh in, in first century Roman society. So, you know, some of those things for us, I think, I think it's still about, um, you know, your feelings are the most true thing about you, right? So whatever you feel, whatever you want is what you should do. And even if that goes against, you know, scripture, or if that goes against, um, what we might call good or right or true. So that's, you know, if I, in in first century Rome, sometimes sex was almost considered like the same thing as an appetite of food. If I if I'm hungry, I eat. So if I if I desire something, I take and get. I don't think that's far removed from how we feel today. You know, if I want to be with this person, then I'm going to go and do it. Right. Right. If I feel like this is the job I want, and this this will ultimately make me happy and and give me life, then I'm going to go after it, and I don't care who I step on to get it. Right. Um, you know, self is glorified self is is put as first place in my life i even think about even even more like everyday examples i mean we could spend all day trying to situate different i think different scenarios of of people in our body but um you know just locker room talk in the workplace or just jumping in on the gossip right um about maybe uh a supervisor Mm mm-hmm or just falling prey in these little, what we would consider little, everyday 
things, you know, you use the imagery in your sermon of swimming upstream, mm-hmm. um, of going against the current. And I think there is a current of just, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, individualism and self-expression and just gratifying the flesh. Yeah, and the other thing here is excess, like excess. You know, drunkenness is excess. You know, we would say, you know, having alcohol in moderation is not sinful, right. but they're pursuing excess here. You know, sex within the boundaries of marriage is a good gift, but they're pursuing excess here. They're they're going above and beyond what is good. Yeah, the, the radical aspect of that is heterosexual monogamy, right? Right. Um, but yeah, I, I think in all of those ways, I think there are th- there is a real potential um, for us to experience some of the same slander. Like when we choose not to engage right, in those right. conversations, when we choose not to leverage our authority to serve ourselves, when we choose, um, you know, when we choose not to wield power in right. a way that um, that uses others. Um, there are people who go, why wouldn't you do that? This is just the way of the world. Um, and Peter's going, you know, by design, kind of back to chapter three, those are the moments that are provocative and cause people to go, what is it with you? I mean, yeah. Those are the missional moments. It's actually in the rub of slander and mockery and, you know, dude, What's the deal that we get to bear witness to Christ? Um, and we, we don't tend to think about it that way. I think we tend to think about it in this Tim Tebow sort of a way where it's like, you know, I can be the cool athlete who loves Jesus and that'll be what's provocative. Like, man, yeah, you know, and, and that's just, that doesn't seem to be what Peter's saying. He's going, yeah, no, you're going you're gonna to live in a way in following Jesus that people find strange and even irritating. And they might talk about you, but at some point they, they may ask you um, why it is that you choose to, to live that way. And those are going to be the occasions where you get to bear witness to Jesus. Yeah, I think that's really good. And I, and I think the reason why, you know, these people are probably experiencing slanders because you know, that crowd image, you're like, everyone's going in one direction. Like no one's thinking about like what we're choosing, we just, we're, it's the water we swim in, right? That image, is, it's just the water we swim in. We're not thinking about what's in the water. Right. But then someone begins to go against it and you go, wait, there's another way. Right. So some people are compelled by it, but others go like, they're uncomfortable. Like, no, this is just the way we do it. And then you go, no, there's a different way. I'm not actually going to do that because I think I'm called to do something else. Right. And then all of a sudden like, well, what are you saying about us? Are you saying that we're, we're living wrongly, and so that's where some of the slander comes in because they're for the first time someone's confronted with there's a different way. Right, and I think it's so important in that moment because this is where I think we get it wrong a lot as Christians. We think it's, it's our job in those moments to go, yes, you are living the wrong way, right. you heathens, instead of inviting them into a, a, a better way of life and going, man, we believe that we found something that's more true and beautiful and good in Jesus. I mean, it's that beatitudinal way of living. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. At first, that's going to be offensive. Yeah. And, and what we want to do is we want to tell a better story. And I, and I don't know as Christians that we've told, told that story well, because in that intersection moment of the rub, 
yeah. of like, are you telling me I'm wrong? I think what we've tended to do a lot is to go, yes. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. and of course, of course, <laughs> the answer is yes. But the way that we say that, I think, is so critical. Right. Well, you know, I think an example you bring up often in, in you know, talk about that, like, no one's ever confessed greed to me. Right? Greed's a great one in our culture because we don't think we're greedy. And then we, if we looked at our bank account and all, and, you know, if Brett Wiley looked at his bank account and all the money I spend on food, all the money I spend on excess stuff that I don't ultimately need, you know, I'd be convicted. But, but you know, when if you're in a certain, socio, a higher socioeconomic class, right, and your ability to buy a new, always buy a new car every four years or always buy a new boat or whatever it might be, and you start going, no, hey, actually, we're gonna we're gonna live in a little bit smaller of a house. We're gonna drive, you know, good cars, but not super nice, so that we can give as much as we can to other people in the church. Like that's what we're gonna do. And all of a sudden, like the people that you run around with, because you're gonna be in the same circle, so like, what, like, what are you doing? It's provocative. It's provocative, but some go like, are you? Like, yeah, what's some wrong? might go, are what's you trying to you? say that you're better than me because right. of the way you're living? Right. It's like, no, I just want to tell you, like, I think there's more to life than getting everything you can with your money. I think that's it. I think we can read passages like this and kind of super Christianize them, you know? We can go like hyper spiritual with them. And I think kind of what you just described, I think that's what Peter's imagining. Right. In all sorts of ways. Um, There is this subversive way of living as we follow Jesus. All right, we need to wrap this up. I have one last question for you. Um, what in the world does Peter mean in verse six when he says that the gospel was preached to those who are now dead? Who's he talking about there? Yeah, well, I, I took a pretty simple interpretation there. Like, I would say he's talking to people who came to believe the gospel in life and now are dead. Okay. Um, you know, you have verse five, Peter says that they will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. So he's there talking about those who slander you, right? They're going to be held account in the same way that we're held account. Um, but he uses the same word for debt. And it's not um, – sometimes, you know, your, your passage a couple weeks ago, we could go really deep here, so I'll try to be quick. Sometimes people take your passage from chapter 3, verse 18, he was put to death in the spirit but made alive, or put to death in the flesh but made alive by the spirit in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prisons. Sometimes people connect – verse 6, and, and that verse, to say this is what was happening. He went and preached to those who are now dead. There was either the either the Old Testament saints yeah. or those who were condemned yeah. that he went and made proclamation. Yeah. Yep. But the word dead here is, is it's, it's one for people. It's used for people, and it's, it's just simply meaning dead. Right. <laughs> like they're, they're no longer living. And it's connected to verse 5, and when you read it in the context – you can see that he is trying to comfort those he's writing to. Right. Hey, you're going to be, you might be judged by human standards in this life, meaning you might be called, uh, you know, insulted for your faith. You might be told you're a bigot. You might be told you're uh, holier than thou, whatever it might be. But ultimately, you're going to be judged by God's standards and so have life is, in the spirit. This is good news to them. This is comforting language. Is, is it? I mean, it could be, and I think Calvin took this view that this idea of Jesus 
uh, making proclamation to the spirits, you know, that he was proclaiming both to uh, the condemned and to the righteous. Mm-hmm. Um, similar idea here. Jesus is declaring his victory. He mm-hmm. wins in the end. And if you're on his team, you win. Yeah. And so it's a comfort to those who have suffered in this life to know, hey, ultimate victory belongs to Jesus. There's a day coming, Peter finishes by saying, um, that it, actually he says this a little later in chapter four, um, that a just judge is going to make right. Yeah. And so we have hope there. Yeah, and and Karen Jobs really gets that. Like this was not an idea that was believed in ancient cultures, ultimately that you'd be held account hold a, held accountable after death. So so Peter is saying like, hey, the promises of God and the warnings of God transcend death. Like God God is God is going to make good on what he's promised to you in this life and you will have life eternal with him in the spirit. Which is a really helpful way kind of circling all the way back to put a period here to arm ourselves, to arm our thinking is to fix our eyes on that coming day and to live in light of it. Yeah, it's good, man. Thanks, Brett. Great word Sunday. Thanks for bringing the heat to us. All right, see you guys next week. If you want to find out more about City Life Church or have any questions about the kinds of things we talked about today, you can head over to citylifechurch.org and fill out a digital connect card. We'd love to reach out and stay in touch with you. Thanks for listening.